Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Austin Montgomery for Senior Housing News. On today's episode, I spoke with Majestic Residences CEO Chuck Bongiovanni. The Gilbert, Arizona-based company's franchise model now has 35 assisted living small care homes under contract across eight states. We're opening up a couple brand new ones, um, and we're finding them uh, receiving tours uh, much, much earlier before we even have a grand opening. Majestic Residences is expanding its reach with 12 homes to come online in the coming months and an international franchise recently opening a care home in the Dominican Republic. Now, here's my interview with Chuck Bongiovanni, CEO of Majestic Residences. Chuck, thanks for joining me on Transform today. Great to be here, Austin. Appreciate the invitation. Really appreciate you being here. So for those who aren't familiar with Majestic Residences, would you be able to outline the senior living portfolio that you have and um, just outline a little bit about the company structure just for people who might not be familiar? Sure, absolutely. Majestic Residences is a small small house, they call small small house assisted living franchise system. So our assisted living facilities or communities are from six to 16 residents. We're averaging actually right now uh, uh, 10 bed homes uh, with very high occupancy. So we're, we are a franchise model and we are in um, uh, eight states plus the Dominican Republic. And just for the listeners, I think a good way to start this conversation would be also understanding how the year has been. Uh, we've seen a lot of optimism in senior living this year, I think, as we see well-positioned operators really start to see some recovery. So just from your perspective, how would you characterize 2023 so far? Uh, I don't know if I have a word for it, but I would say high occupancy, but slower, um, slower growth due to uh, the higher interest rates. I mean, we have about 35 franchisees. I have eight of them open right now because uh, the rest are looking for funding or they're in the process of, of building. Uh, but I have seen an, into, uh, an uptick in uh, homes that are already established joining our brands. We have about 12 of them right now coming aboard in the next 60 days. That's been a big trend changer. And just with that recent addition, you want to outline what that looks like? And uh, has, has that pace kind of been something that you think will keep up? Would love to, to know more. Yeah, I think, um, you know, uh, since COVID, a lot of these smaller home operators have been kind of on an island. So they're, they're looking for that, that system or that, that camaraderie among other uh, care homeowners to to share in one vision together. So we, I was definitely surprised to see that uptick. It was almost immediately started about two months ago. We started having a lot of already operating uh, homes say, you know what, I like what you're doing. I see what you're doing with occupancy. I like your programs and your system. Uh, let's talk. And just to be able to have that growth, I think, is something that must be exciting. But just in terms of operations, uh, to, to grow that quickly, I uh, would love to know just what's behind it all. Uh, what are some of the things to, that you have in place that really help uh, make this growth attainable and not uh, be part of something that adds a lot of growing pains? Yeah, I think a lot of it's just innovation. I mean, some of the things that are in our homes aren't any aren't anywhere else. I mean, for example, we have a uh, 
we have an incontinence program which uses uh, radio waves to determine whether an adult brief is wet or not. I mean, that's just crazy. Um, some of the other things that we have, a lot of residential care homes don't. Uh, we're working uh, with JCO to be JCO accredited, um, and the new assisted living program, uh, and many other things that we just do that other residential care homes and some of the big communities just don't do. And with the scale, I think, comes some of those opportunities to add uh, really personalized care to, uh, to one of these locations. So would you outline maybe what uh, some of the uh, changes have been since the pandemic uh, in terms of bring, being able to bring back services or bring back uh, programming uh, now that things are, quote unquote, returning to a, a sense of normal? Yeah, well, it's kind of difficult because the smaller care homes didn't really have too many issues during COVID uh, as compared to the nursing homes and a lot of the big boxes, just because of our scale, our smaller scale. Much easier to um, figure out who's coming in the home and who isn't. And, you know, instead of having 10 caregivers coming in a day with a big box, we've got, you know, two or three coming in per day. So it was much easy, much more easily manageable. I think our whole system, I think we believe we had two cases of COVID and that was it. And to be able to have uh, that type of insulation, I'm sure um, just with that scale, I think that uh, gives credit, credence to the small home model. I know we'll yeah. talk about that later, but... Uh, yeah. Definitely, definitely see that there. And now um, shifting, I know you said occupancy was was pretty strong throughout the portfolio. Uh, what can you say just that you've seen uh, as the year has gone on in terms of occupancy and where do you think it's headed? We're, um, we're at about 98% right now. Um, I'm pretty steady at that. Um, I always joke that hey, we need more homes in the portfolio because our occupancy is, is so high. Um, we're opening up a couple brand new ones um, and we're finding them uh, receiving tours uh, much, much earlier before we even have a grand opening. And with that pace, um, are you seeing also just demand has remained high in the last 18 months or so? Would love to know just where you're seeing demand because I think it's market dependent where you're seeing that demand. But um, just what, what are you seeing right now in terms of new residents coming into the fold and new, new locations coming into the fold? Would love to know what you see on demand. Yeah, I'm seeing a little younger residents. I mean, not, not in the 70s. I mean, our average uh, resident is like 84, 85 years old, but uh, coming to us uh, with a little better health than normally, like pre-COVID uh, times. Um, but I'm definitely seeing that uh, families aren't hesitating like they did during COVID to make the move. And with, I know you said there's been some uh, really rapid growth recently. Do you think that the scope and the size of the locations helps you have an advantage of being able to grow more quickly? I uh, would love to know just kind of how you view the relationship between your scope, but also your growth model and kind of what you have in mind for what healthy growth looks like. Yeah, you know, I, I definitely know that, you know, to build a big community, you have a, many, many, many months, if not a year and a half in permitting permitting, and, and all those kind of aspects of, of getting approved by the city or town you're in. Uh, we don't see the, too many of those issues with the residential care home. I mean, 
we can open one up in certain states in uh, under three months. In certain states, we can open up um, immediately uh, because licensing is delayed until they have you know three residents or so. So we can get open much more quicker than a big facility can, which you know with enough demand, we can hit the uh, the numbers of a bigger community just in one city pretty quickly. And do you see uh, a lot of growth opportunities in new markets, or do you think that you see a lot of growth uh, for existing markets that you already have locations in? Would love to know just kind of how you view the trajectory and kind of the location of, of that growth. Yeah, we're seeing a little bit of everything, to be very honest with you. Um, some of the newer markets, some of the newer potential franchisees we're speaking with, there aren't a lot of communities in their area, definitely not a lot of residential care homes. Um, it's a pretty good mix between the typical markets that everyone is in, uh, but I am seeing some some smaller mid-sized markets. And we've seen, I mean, obviously, uh, interest rates have been high and they've been historically high for some time now. Um, and you had mentioned that at the top of the call when we had started, uh, that interest rates were something that has been prohibitive to, to growth in some ways. But uh, just from your perspective, have it doesn't seem like you've slowed down. It seems like you've worked uh, to, to really have a lot of new acquisitions coming online. Uh, it seems like you're really working uh, towards that. So how are you making that work? Would love to know just kind of where you're seeing success there and uh, just related to new acquisitions. Yeah, you know, over the last year, we saw SBA, um, we're really cracking down on experience too. So not only did we have higher interest rates, but we were having an issue getting loans. So we believe we solved that problem. Um, we are about three weeks away from uh, SEC uh, filing to create um, a $75 million fund uh, to actually purchase homes for our franchisees, much like the McDonald's model. Um, we, we have very strong um, feedback that the money is there, but we just can't officially collect it until uh, we are uh, full through the SEC filing. But yeah, we'll, we'll buy the homes, have the franchisees lease them from us, and then after five years, they'll have the option to purchase them. So our biggest struggle has been getting that funding uh, and we believe that we, we will have that problem solved over the next five months. And is that the timeline for the filing is about five months? To, to we, we should be finished in about uh, three weeks. But by the time we have our marketing set up and we're able to legally start accepting uh, some of the funds, uh, we're probably looking at about three months. Uh, but by the time we purchase the homes and get franchisees in them, about five months or so. I mean, that still seems like a relatively quick turnaround. I mean, to be able to do all that in in, in a five-month period uh, seems like a very, very uh, aggressive way to be able to, to make things work. Just from your end, how, how do you view it all? Yeah, it's pretty aggressive. Not only that, but the, the fund that we're creating is actually going to uh, create four more brands. Um, four, four brands that aren't franchised yet, or concepts, shall we say, that aren't franchised yet, uh, but I've seen them in the senior world for decades. So we're, we are uh, going to be acquiring four companies. Um, one, of them, one of them, if we get that deal finished, is already a franchise system, but three of them aren't, uh, and we will create a franchise system, um, a portfolio of franchise uh, companies with that. 
And with those company acquisitions, I know you probably can't speak to details or who they are right now, but is there anything you could say about the types of services that they offer or how they'll interface with, with your platform? Good question. See if I can answer that. Um, they will definitely interface. Uh, they all have to do with uh, each other. Um, I can't really get into what kind of concepts they are yet, but um, they are con there are senior related companies that have been around and concepts have been around for quite a while, but no one has thought about franchising them before. And when did this idea come to you? Is this something that has been in the back of your mind for, for a long time and now's the, the right, right position to be able to make it happen? Uh, how, how long has this been on your radar? Well, about, I want to say about eight months ago, um, I called a friend up to say, help me with, uh, devise a model that I can bring to a, um, bring to a bank or bring to a, uh, some attorneys to set up a fund. And he said, that's great. Um, I like what you're doing. Well, why don't we just build a portfolio of franchises due to my franchise experience and such. And it, it all kind of made sense because I saw that these other brands um, or the concepts just hadn't been franchised before. And I'm a builder, you know, so when we started talking to the other companies and, and showed them what franchising looks like and how they could all intermingle with each other with cross referrals, uh, everyone's excited about it. And w with that idea in mind, do you think that this is something that you believe other senior living operators might consider once they see what you're up to? I mean, is this something that you think is just not within the realm of senior living yet and, and should be? I, I know you can't speak too specifically, but is there, do you kind of get at what I'm, what I'm, what I'm yeah. asking? Yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I don't know about the franchise model themselves because, you know, they're not franchisors, but I can definitely see um, an assisted living company looking into um, purchasing or starting a home care company or, or different kind of concepts like that to create that environment uh, with cross referrals and, and being able to help a senior from all different walks of life and different phases of their life. And obviously with this type of aggressive growth model, you have to have the, the right staff in place to be able to make something like this work. So would love to know just, uh, I know you said the effects of the pandemic were kind of insulated from from the the small home world, but um, just on staffing, is there anything you're having success, success with? Are there things that you're still seeing challenges with in terms of staffing? I, I just is for this for this type of 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 growth. Yeah, you know, Austin, I really believed the gave my heart that uh, it all comes down to culture. You know, people don't leave jobs, they leave people, right? And and I have seen over the years, um, you know, the caregivers are the most precious commodity any care home or any big facility has. If you don't treat them right, and I don't just mean high pay, I just mean if you don't treat them right, if they don't feel like being that they're part of the team, then they're just going to go look for someone else who's paying 50, 50 cents more an hour and leave you. You know, part of our model is we have the caregivers actually part of our tour. You know, I, I've been on over 10,000 tours uh, over the years with families, and I'll go to the big box, and I'm talking to the marketer, and that's it. They might say hello to the person walking by or hello to the little senior, right? But I don't see any interaction with the staff whatsoever. So we make, we make part of the actual tour experience um, take in the staff and have them become part of that experience. And 
where do you think that I know we've seen some wage compression for a lot of operators. Where do you think there are still some pain points on labor right now? Are there is it just just that is it finding care workers? Is it vacancies that you're dealing with? Would love to know. Just are there any challenges that you're still seeing on staffing? Um, like I said, we're having we're not having too much of a problem with that. But in, in general, um, I see uh, not only recruitment but but more retention. You know, I said this years ago that at some point in time, the caregivers will be actually become the commodity and it's happened. You know, uh, I talked a lot in the, in the past about, uh, yes, right now, seniors are the most important. They're, they're our clients. We need to make, make sure they're taken care of. But at some point in time, you know, that commodity is going to be that caregiver. And we've reached that point, I think. And obviously, we know that operators, because of, of, realizing the value of the care staff. Operators have taken a lot of steps to try and differentiate themselves in terms of being able to offer certain new benefits or incentives or being able to offer uh, ancillary benefits uh, like a bus pass or a train a train pass uh, for some metro markets for some workers. Are there any things that you think you've had success with on staffing um, that uh, were maybe things that you might not have thought of even just a couple of years ago to be to be able to, to help keep staff around and, and to help boost retention? Well, like I said, it's about culture. So yeah. we, we encourage our franchisees to um, do a quick spot check, walk up to a character and say, what's our mission statement? If they know it, boom, here's 20, 20 bucks, 50 bucks. You know, what, what are, what's our value system? What are our four values? And if they can name them, boom, here's a bonus. And so, being able to to do small things like that, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure some of the caregivers appreciate. Uh, now, I just want to shift to um, the small home model and talk about that for a little bit. Um, what drove you in the first place to really focus on small home senior living rather than pursue larger development? I think that's something that uh, I'd wanted to know from from you for for a bit now, but never got to the chance to ask. So, yeah. Uh, well, if you asked me 10 years ago if I ever thought I'd be a provider, I'd say, heck no. Uh, but, you know, with, with being, uh, having a very successful placement company and franchise, uh, I was in a lot of these homes and a, lot, and a lot of the big communities also. And I just saw the differences between the two. Um, now, mind you, the care homes take care of, of, of residents that are, need a little bit more care uh, that can't do well in an independent apartment by themselves. Um, but, you know, through that whole process, I saw the difference in the better care that was given, more individualized and personalized care, and realized that because they're, they don't have the standards for marketing or operations, that they're going to, you know, they're missing the mark. So anytime you're looking at franchising and industry, you want to look for things like that. You want to look for um, situations where there's, there's not too many universal standards, um, look at the, uh, the actual um, abilities of the, of the care homeowners. I mean, they're, they're, they're knocking themselves out giving care. They're not, they're not marketers. You know, they're not thinking of innovative new programs for seniors. So having that knowledge and knowing that we could bring that into the small home model uh, and, and like you mentioned, open them quickly uh, was something I was pretty excited about. And just being able to, to expand your reach now, I think uh, you're growing faster than ever, it sounds like. I know you've always been aggressive on growth, but now seems like a really unique time to, to have that growth. 
where do you think that mentality comes from and how do you how do you balance that being so aggressive on being able to make things uh, work for the long term and be part of a longer term goal? Well, not sleeping helps. I'm just kidding. Um, you know, I, I have just seen so many opportunities. I mean, I love it because every day you may have a setback. You may have two things that just said, wow, this was incredible. Uh, I'm getting calls from all around, the, all around the world, actually. A lot of different people in different countries want to do this. Since our Dominican Republic um, uh, home that we built out there, I'm getting calls from uh, well, Canada and Egypt and, and, and other Latin America countries also who are just seeing the potential of this kind of industry uh, out there. So um, it's exciting for me. I, I love building and growing things. And with the international project, do you just want to talk about that, give an update on, on yeah. how things are going there? Yeah, it was funny because when we started, when we first went out, well, let me tell you the whole story. Um, my my master franchisee potential at the time called me up and said, I want to, I, I was born and raised in Dominican Republic and I want to have a home out here. And I said, I don't want to be anywhere else but the United States right now. And you know, it was kind of tongue in cheek, come out here if you don't like it, we'll, we'll reimburse you. So I went out there and I uh, saw the quote unquote best places and they were shocking. I mean, Beyond words, beyond beyond any of the worst home I've ever seen in America. So uh, we, or she bought a um, a school and we helped her transform that into a, a nineteen bed place. And we had our grand opening there about two months ago. Uh, and I believe it's one or two beds from being full at this point. And it is it is raised the standards so much. Uh, I'm looking for for. Give you an example here. I'm looking for um, Dominican Republic baseball players to invest in franchises out there, a way to give back to the country and also a way to make some profit on, uh, at the same time. You know, that's a really interesting uh, networking approach. Um, I, I think that that's really something on the international side. We're seeing a lot of operators really start to uh, well-positioned ones, I should say, really look at, at international projects. Uh, we just saw that uh, someone with Minto Communities is uh, Minto Communities is partnering with a, a developer in Mexico City for, for mm-hmm. some projects in Mex- outside of Mexico. Uh, and so there's a lot of opportunity, I think, regardless of the size. But to hear you talk about it, do you see the international growth as being something that will be part of the, the growth model for you in the future? Do you, do you yeah. see a lot of opportunity there at least at least in in our hemisphere yeah absolutely uh, like i said i've been getting calls for the last three months uh, different countries people are interested in the model uh i i think it's, it's it's a little easier to to operate i think in other countries because of the they're not they're not too many restrictions uh as we as we have here and don't get me wrong restrictions are good they, they set up good care but when you can actually be the one that creates those standards it's even better and I'm sure you're seeing that in the Dominican Republic already, is that you're being able to set a standard, like you had said. Um, just do you want to talk a little bit about what that process took to, once the, obviously the home's open now, but to get there, uh, you had to be able to figure out how you could export your culture and, the, and, the, and the, the model that you have in the States to be able to make that work and get buy-in from, from a team in the, the Dominican. So we'd love to hear uh, behind the scenes of that process. What was that process like of trying to make sure that the mission statement could be exported? Yeah. It, it was funny because um, my first thought was, okay, so 
what is it going to be called? Majestico Resident? I mean, whatever, right? <laughs> and 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 the uh, master franchisee out there said, no, people out here love things that are American. We're going to keep the name, you know? So uh, the, the, the first home we have out there was uh, named after the owner, but it's still by the branding by Majestic Residences. Um, and we, we brought standards in that they've never seen before. I mean, this home is unbelievable. I mean, it's better than I would say 80% of the care homes that we see in America. We really brought some um, high standards of, uh, of construction and, and more, more important programming and, and philosophy of care. And you think being able to build that standard and be an innovator in a whole country, I mean, you don't get that opportunity very often, right? So you really have, have a great way to, to capitalize on a, a whole new market that uh, you essentially can, can, can raise the bar for your competition. Absolutely. You know, we, uh, when we went out there, we saw the other, the other homes that were there and the other communities. Um, when I when I gave the final decision to the potential franchisee, yeah, we want to do this, but I have one condition: you cannot charge one dollar more than what these guys are charging. And it it's worked out you know, incredibly well so far. Uh, I mean, assisted living out there, it, honestly, it's, it's fifteen hundred dollars a month, but it's all in scale. When you can get a nurse for five hundred dollars a month. Uh, it it all it all works out at the very end, but more importantly, we're giving people in that in that country care le- you know care levels I've never seen before, right? And I want to I want to do that in other countries also, you know, besides here in, in the United States. Yeah, and obviously, I think in here in, here in domestically, we're even seeing kind of that that new conversation around affordability come back up year after year. About uh, you have these. Uh, high-end communities that a lot of people can't necessarily afford to be in. And there are the affordable end of communities where there's a lot of waiting lists and there's, it's hard to get into some of those communities. And so that middle uh, is something to where I think a lot of operators are really trying to figure that out. Um, do, you see, do you see an opportunity for any, anything like that in, in, a, in an affordable bottle? Would love to know your thoughts on why you chose to keep it that way in the, in the Dominican project, um, was that something that you just ethically wanted to be able to, to say and do? I would love to know just your perspective about that affordability component. Yeah, for the Dominican Republic, it was more ethically uh, bound uh, after seeing, I mean, I'll give you an example, Austin. I mean, the, the other place that we went to had padlocks on the seniors' doors and the outside of their door for, for evening hours. I, as a social worker by trade, that just drove me nuts, you know? But I'll tell you something. What I, what I see in the market here is um, kind of like more of a long-term, semi-long-term, you know, because of the caregiver crisis, I see a lot of the bigger places really focus more on getting, uh, moving in um, seniors that are a little bit younger and need a little less care. That's going to cause a, a separate tsunami, I think, and that is the people that are in there now that are going to need a lot of care because Lord knows a 75-year-old does not want to be around those old people, right? So, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of um, – uh, coordination between us and an energy and synergy between us and some of the bigger the bigger communities uh, because they may have to find places for these seniors that are taking a lot of time for caregivers and if they don't have the caregivers they're really would want to focus on that model of a more of a healthier kind of senior who may live in the community much longer 
you know, than the average 18, 24 months or so. So we're hoping to build those relationships with the big box communities also. That was something I also wanted to ask was if you would consider like a third party partnership with an operator who has maybe a one large single site CCRC or something, and they're looking to looking for uh, two or three satellite care homes or something like that. Uh, is that on your radar for for the growth in the future? Would love to know just kind of where you where you view those partnerships and and if they can be a value for Majestic. Yeah, also you're you're reading my innovation mind right now. That's that's been on my on my uh, back of my mind for a long time. Is trying to find uh, maybe a small regional player that could um, you know definitely benefit from us uh, as a partnership because you know we're going to have people that come to our homes that won't be a good fit for us maybe and, and we've had some that are actually more independent than a lot of our, our other residents and i don't want to see them not happy by being in the wrong environment so you know there could be some good synergies there definitely and now chuck just in the few minutes that we have left i would love to get your thoughts on uh, just bigger picture thoughts within the small home uh, model. So uh, where do you think the small home concept needs to evolve over time, if anywhere? Are there any areas where you really are thinking about innovation and growth or new ways to, to, to dispatch operations? I would love to know how you see the evolution of the small home niche within the larger senior living industry. Yeah, I think the small home world right now is, is just starting. We're at our infancy of that change. And I, what I mean by the change is the change from the mom and pop mentality of I own one home and I work in the home 12 hours a day to more of a professionally serviced uh, organization. And I, I'm seeing that. I'm seeing some of the other non-franchise um, owners that may own five homes, ten homes now, being much more professionally run. Uh, and that's our goal with Majestic. We want 300 homes in our portfolio uh, over the next five, six years. And I, I really think that progression needs to happen for the small home concept to be taken seriously. And with that scale, I think uh, obviously you're going to have a lot of things that you learn along the way. Um, what are there some are there some takeaways you think larger operators could really learn from the small home concept and vice versa? Um, because I think we hear a lot about partnerships and cooperation within the industry, um, but sometimes that that feels like like a lot of a lot of talk, um, and that uh, sometimes it doesn't actually happen. So to be able to hear uh, you talk about those synergies is interesting. Uh, do you think there's anything that larger operators could take from from your concept and you could take from theirs? Is there anything you ever think? about that yeah i do and they're going to shoot me when i say this but um it's, it's a personal pet peeve of mine but i think if operators spent as much time on how to personalize their care and and make their care more productive as they spend on their dining rooms and their dining experience um i think they're missing the boat i mean like i said i i have toured thousands of families and not once have i heard a family say wow, I'm looking forward to the dining experience for my mom, right? So I, I, I think that um, some of the big boxes could, could, you know, take a look at that, right? And figure out how can, I move, how can we give more personalized care? You know, even if that's just, hey, I have five people in my, in my community that love Jim Murray, so let's, let's create a Jim Murray kind of thing or something like that, right? As opposed to this focus on 
dining, right? And I maybe maybe I'm way off, Austin, but I can just tell you my personal experience with families and what they were looking for when I was touring them through these places. And Chuck, we'll get you out of here with this. What's your outlook for the industry for senior living for the remainder of the year? Where do you see it headed? Uh, do you think there's optimism on the horizon? Look, just want to get your outlook and then we'll get out of here. Yeah, I think there's optimism, but I think that um, at some point in time, can, construction and, and labor has to uh, has to meet at some point where we can really take advantage of uh, what's really out there for the high levels of uh, potential. I don't think we're going to hit those high levels yet until we take a look at more of the uh, inflation and, and construction costs and labor costs. Well, Chuck, thanks for joining me on Transform. Austin, thank you. Appreciate it, man. That does it for this episode of Transform. I'm Austin Montgomery for Senior Housing News. Thanks for listening.